We are in Genesis chapter 21, and we're continuing where we left off last time. Genesis chapter 21. And we're going to start reading again, just, just for the background, in verse 9. Now Sarah saw, this is Genesis 21, verse 9. Now Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born mocking. Whom she had born to Abraham mocking. Therefore she said to Abraham, Drive out this maid and her son, for the son of the maid shall not be heir with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because of his son. But God said to Abraham, Do not be distressed because of the lad and your maid. Wherever, whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her. For through Isaac your descendants shall be named. And of the son of the maid I will make a nation also because he is your descendant. So Abraham rose early in the morning. And he took bread and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar, putting them on her shoulder. And he gave her the boy and sent her away. And she departed and wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was used up, she left the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went and she sat down opposite him about a bowshot away. For she said, Do not let me see the boy die. And she sat opposite him and lifted up lifted up her voice and wept. God heard the lad crying, and the angel of God said to Hagar from heaven, called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter with you, Hagar? Do not fear, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him by the hand, for I will make a great nation of him. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and she filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. God was with the lad, and he grew, and he lived in the wilderness and became an archer, and he lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. So we already covered verse 9 through, through uh, 14 the last couple of weeks. But I want to, to continue to expand upon that. That uh, um, Sarah because of the mocking, because of the mocking that was going on by Ishmael, this, this boy who's now about 18 years old, uh, and, and uh, um, the, the son Isaac is about four years old or so, and he starts mocking him. Because of this, and because of what he had learned from his mother about mocking and, and coming against Sarah, it's going to drive them out. Because of their behavior, they lost their status. Because of their behavior, they were, they were thrown out. Your behavior will affect you in your job. Your behavior will affect you in, in your careers. Your behavior. It is a great thing to have a job. It is a great thing to have a career. If you don't like your job, go find another job. But don't leave there burning bridges. You want to keep friendly with people. Their behavior is what got them thrown out. Abraham wasn't at all excited about getting rid of them. It wasn't until God had spoken to him that he was able to do it. It says, it says in, in, um, in verse 11, the matter distressed Abraham greatly because of his son. He was about to have to get rid of Ishmael, a son. This is a, a son of his, about 18 years old, and he has to get rid of him and, and his, 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 his mother. And this bothered him greatly until God spoke to him. Until God spoke to him, this, is, this was what had happened. 
And then he was able to do it. Following God is never easy. God spoke to him and told him specifically, listen to your wife in this instance, they need to be put out. It is never easy to obey God. So if you think you're the first one who has to obey God and do something hard, you're wrong. Anybody who has walked with God before you has understood this. It is hard to walk with God. He asks us to do things and he commands us to do things that are not easy. This is the way he works. Jesus learned obedience through the things that he suffered, the scriptures say. Jesus learned obedience through the things that he suffered. We learn obedience. This is part of the Christian life. This is part of what we have to be be willing to do in Christian life. And then he sends her out. It says in verse 14, So Abraham arose early in the morning, meaning the decision was made. As soon as God spoke to him, the decision was made. Abraham was born, was rose early in the morning, and he took bread and a skin of water, and he gave them to Hagar, putting them on her shoulder, and he gave her the boy, and he sent her away. He sent her away. It was back up in verse 10 that Hagar had that, that Sarah had said, drive them out. That is a much stronger word. That is a word in Hebrew, garash, that drive them out. Whereas this word, uh, uh, this word here in verse 14, sent her away, shalach is a neutral term. It's much more neutral. He's not driving her out. It's a neutral term. He's sending her away. And he gave her everything that she needed to get to the next oasis point. But the problem is, and she departed and wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba. She wandered. She got lost in the wilderness. So the water ran out. That's the problem. And so they they go from this mocking people to being a people that are very desperate now. They went from a mocking people to being very desperate. Here's this 18 or so year old uh, young man who was mocking his brother, not appreciating the home in which he lived in the home of Abraham, and all that was the comfort that he had in that home, and now he's dying under a bush. Things can turn on a dime. Life can turn on a dime. And when we start feeling prideful and we deserve this and everything's okay and I can do whatever I want, just be careful. Pride comes before a fall, the scriptures say. You can lose this in an instant. You can lose a job in in an instant. You can lose your health in an instant. You can have an accident. Things can turn instantly. And this is what happened to them. And it says in verse 15, when the water in the skin was used up, she left the boy under one of the bushes. So remember, this this child, Ishmael, was 14 when his brother Isaac was born. They had the weaning party for Isaac in this same chapter. So he's 18, 19, 17, somewhere in that region, maybe up to 20 years old in that region. And he's dying under a bush now. And the mother sets him apart and says, I don't even want to see him die. She goes about a bow shot away, I don't know, 25 meters, 30 meters away. And she lifts up her voice and she begins to weep. It says in verse 17, Then God heard the lad crying, and the angel of God called to her, called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter with you, Hagar? Do not fear, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. What prompted Abraham to be able to release them like this was the promise that God had given Abraham in verse 13. And of the son of the maid, I will make a nation also because he is your descendant. 
he said to him, I will make a nation out of him. He had said the same thing to Abraham in chapter 17. In chapter 17, verse 20, the last part of it, it's, it says of Ishmael, he shall become the father of 12 princes and I will make him a great nation. There were promises concerning Ishmael. There were promises concerning Ishmael that were made to Abraham so he could release it. He could release Ishmael. As hard as it was, he could release Ishmael because he trusted God. He trusted in the promises. There were promises made to Hagar. There were promises made to Hagar back in verse six, in chapter 16. In, ver, in chapter 16, uh, um, there were promises made to Hagar in verse 11 of chapter 16. The angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him, and he will live to the east of all his brothers. So you see that there were promises that were made to Hagar concerning him. And, and this promise, it says, and his name shall be Ishmael. Ishmael means God hears. And that's why in chapter 21, God comes and he reminds her. The angel of God comes and he says, God hears the lad. God hears. He uses the very name of Ishmael to say God hears. It, and and uh, he's reminding her in all of this. It is so easy to get a promise from God and then in the midst of troubles to forget the promises that God has given to us and to just look totally at the situation. The amazing thing about Abraham was in the midst of the difficult situation, the man could remember God's promises and receive God's promises. And here is this woman with her child about to die and, and God tells her to do something. He says, he says uh, in, so we are in verse 21, reading from verse, uh, verse 18. He says to Hagar, Arise, Lift up the lad and hold him by the hand, for I will make a great nation of him. So she, he says to her, she's under a bush 30 meters away from him or so. He's under a bush, she's somewhere at some distance, and the angel starts speaking to her from heaven. She hasn't heard the angel, it was, it was nearly 20 years ago that she had heard the angel speak to her back when she was pregnant with Ishmael. Now the angel comes and speaks to her again, the angel of God. This time, before it said the angel of the Lord, the angel of Jehovah, using the personal name of God, Jehovah, Yahweh. But now, he's, it says the angel of God. And he says to her, arise, she's some distance away, she has to arise. He says to her, arise. She can't just stay there, but no, why, why, why should I get up? I don't want to go over there. I'm not standing up. Before he's going to do something, he commands her first. Before he's going to perform a miracle, he says to her, arise. Then he says, lift up the lad and hold him by the hand. This word by the hand means hold him in your hand. This young guy couldn't stand anymore. He's so dehydrated, he can't even stand up. He says to the mother, and you say, well, you know, if he's, if he's 18 years old, how come he's not able to stand and, and, and she is? Well, I don't know. Maybe he was running back and forth in the desert and became dehydrated faster. 
A friend of mine uh, uh, works, when he was in the Israeli army, he worked in one of these, these uh, units that would go and, and, and pull people out of uh, uh, earthquakes. And he said, it is very rare to find a man alive. You find a lot of women alive. They'd be even side by side. He says, men just don't last as long as women. And he says, you find far more women in the wreckage than you find of men. You can find men and women right next to each other. The men are dead. The women are alive. So, so th- this, this guy is nearly dead. He tells the mother, you go over to him and you pick him up. You've got to lift this guy up. We don't, I, I, and you've got to hold him up with your hand. There is a requirement here to have the blessing of God. He requires them to do something to have the blessing of God. And then comes the promise. For I will make a great nation of him. Exactly the same thing that God had told Abraham concerning Ishmael when he said, let Ishmael live before you. He said, okay, I'll bless your son. I'll make him the prince of 12 nations. Those were the 12 Arab nations. So he says, he says uh, I will make him a great nation. There was the promise. Verse 19, Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. As if, it's, it's not as if God, poof, made the well. It's as if the well was there, but she never saw it. As if the well was there and she never saw it. All he did was open her eyes and she saw the well. He didn't make the well spring up. He just opened her eyes. Not far from her was a well that she never saw. And that is so much what happens to us when we get in situations. We forget about the well that is there. We forget about the beauty we have in Jesus Christ. I'll tell you, Jesus loves you so much. For more than 40 years, I have walked with Jesus. And He has always been good to me. He has always been kind and gracious and merciful in everything. Jesus has been good. Jesus has never forsaken me. He's never left me. He has always been there. Some people say, I cry out to God and He feels so far away. I'm telling you, Jesus has never felt far from me. I've never felt far from Jesus. Like, oh, where are you, Jesus? No, He is right there. He has always been with me. We can get into situations and we could think God is not there and He's like, open your eyes. Jesus is right there with you. Paul said when he was in prison, he says, the Lord stood at my side and said, you have witnessed God in Jerusalem. Now you must witness of Him in Rome also. The Lord stood at His side in prison. Jesus has not left you. If you know Him, if you have received Him, He has not left you. You may well have left Him, but He has not left you. He's not left you. He is always good. He is always there. And the angel tells her, open your eyes. Open your eyes. Because right in front of you, there is an oasis for you. There is a well of water for you right there in front of you. This is what God has for us. He has for us such richness. And it's as if sometimes we can go through life not even seeing it. Woe is me. The world is against me. Everybody's against me. Nobody can say that when you are in Christ. When you are in Christ and walking with Him, He is there. He is there. You may have drifted. He has not. Jesus said, abide in Me. 
and let my word abide in you. Abide in me. That means you stay under the umbrella of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be protected. Great things, hardships come upon you, but he will never leave you. And in fact, what happens is, you say, well, what about all the hard times? I'm telling you, everybody has gone through hard times. Everybody has. Life beats up people. And I've gone through hard times, but I'll tell you, I'll testify to you, in the hardest times of life, when I've gone through the most challenging periods of life, I have felt closer to God, not further away. My prayer time is all the greater. That when I go to God, I mean, He's right there in the hardest of times. He's all the closer. Your perception may be that He's afar off. And He's saying, open your eyes. There's a well in front of you. Open your eyes. This is what He's telling her. Just open your eyes. But He required something of her. He required her to get up. He required her to go over to the young man to lift him up. Not easy for a woman probably in her 40s to lift up a young man who's in his late teens to lift him up and hold him up with her hands. Not easy. There are certain requirements. And then comes this word and this blessing. And she fills the skin of water. She gives the lad a drink. And then it talks about where the lad grows up. He grew up in the wilderness and he became an archer. An archer doesn't mean he was some valiant warrior. An archer in the book of Genesis is, uh, is, is often referred to as someone who is rebellious against God. And uh, um, uh, we, we, you may remember the man Nimrod that it spoke about. And, and, uh, and he lived in the wilderness of Paran and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. And so she took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. The Egyptians were, were the children of Ham. They were Hamites. The, the children of Israel were the descendants of Shem. They were Shemites. That's where we get the term Semitic. When they say this anti-Semitic, that's anti-Shem, anti-Shemites. And so, so still, even you can look in, in, in the uh, archaeology of that day, the Hamites had great resentment against the Shemites still as it resides today. And she went and she got an Egyptian wife for him because she herself was an Egyptian. And she got an Egyptian wife for him. And we will see even in the book of Genesis, in this same book, that Egyptians wouldn't even eat in the same room as a Shemite. And, and, uh, uh, and, and so you see this animosity that is there even in this day. But there's this requirement of doing something for the Lord. Of, of, of walking with, with the Lord in this way. I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 4, verse 9. Philippians chapter 4, verse 9. It says, The things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. The things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. I get people just have seen YouTube videos and they'll write to me. And a woman wrote to me, she says, I'm a Christian and my family is Christian. And we're going through, I'm going through a divorce right now and my kids are, are having trouble. Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to me? Because I'm a Christian, why is this happening to me? And I just sent her back this verse. The things that you've learned and received and heard and seen in me Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. 
Peace comes through practice. It is not merely being in Christ. It is not just that. It is practicing the commandments of God. You practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Peace comes through practice. He has not given us His Word just to put it on a shelf. It's to get into our life. It's to have an effect on our lives. It's to have an effect on our lives. If you turn to John chapter 8, John chapter 8, verse 26. John chapter 8, verse 26. The latter half of verse 26 of John chapter 8. I'm reading now from the NIV. It says, But he who sent me is trustworthy. Jesus says, He who sent me is trustworthy. And I have heard from him, and I tell the world. Jesus had implicit trust in his Father. He who sent me is trustworthy. He's trustworthy. I can trust Him. I trust my God. I trust Him. I trust Him with the lives of my children. I trust Him with the lives of my wife. I trust Him with my own life. I trust Him with my career. And so when things happen that are hard, that are hard to understand, I remain trusting Him. I trust Him. God is good. He is righteous. He is holy. Hasn't anything bad ever happened to anyone in my family? Sure. But I trust Him. I trust Him. But He who sent me is trustworthy. And what I have heard, him, what I have heard from Him, I tell the world. And I'll tell you, that is my testimony. What I read in the Bible is what I tell the world. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not this great apologist that, that has read all of these philosophers. I don't read philosophers. I don't. You can read all the philosophers you want. I'm not against that. But I'm telling you, what I hear in the Bible, what I read in the Bible, is what I tell people. And I just try to get verses, and people come at me, and I just give them a verse. Because I have no wisdom on my own. You don't want to hear what I have to say. There's nothing here that's worthwhile. It's all in the Scriptures. Everything, whatever I've heard from Him, that I speak. That's what I speak. What I've heard from Him is what I speak. There's a, there's a, 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 I want you to flip over to John chapter 7. John chapter 7, verse 17. John 7, verse 17. John chapter 7, verse 17. You know, how do we know that God's word is right? How do we know? Why, why isn't, you know, this philosopher or this counselor or this person, why isn't there, how do we know that what we hear in the word of God is right? Well, in John 7, verse 17, it says, if anyone is willing to do His will, He will know the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak from myself. If anyone is willing to do His will. He took Hagar and He said, you want to see God? You want to see this miracle? Get up. Get up. Go over to that young man. Lift him up and hold him up. Because I want him to see this too. I want him to see what you're going to see. So it's not just your testimony. I want him to see exactly what you're going to see. You arise, you get up. They had responsibility. If she didn't arise, if she said, no, I've had it. I've had it. I'm just going to just lie down here and die. I'm just going to lie down here and die. Have you ever felt like that? Most people have. You're only 16. That's your problem. You will one day. You will one day. 
where you, you, you just, just, I just want this to die. I just want to die. That's why. And he says, if anyone is willing to do his will, he will know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak of myself. How do we know the Word of God is true? How do we know? We test it. The Word of God is true. I've lived this for over 40 years. Nobody can tell me that this Word of God isn't true. Nobody can tell me that. Because I've lived it. I've seen it happen. I've seen it work. Not just in my life, but in lives of many people around me, many students around me. I see what happens when people disobey this Word. I see young people come to college. They've got the world by the tail. And they know everything. They know everything. And I see the results of the decisions that they make. And I see their lives destroyed. And I don't just track them over four years. I watch lives over a decade. Watch their lives. Keep contact with them and they keep contact with me. I see people graduate and they write to me for letters of recommendation. I say, okay, tell me about your life. What's happening now? I see the results of the decisions that people make. When it goes contrary to the Word of God, there is destruction. You follow the Word of God, there is life. Jesus said, this is how you know. This is how you know that this Word is true. He says, if anyone is willing to do his will, he will know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak of myself. So when somebody says, how do I know the Word of God is true? I say, do it. Do it and see the outcome. Obey the Word of God and see what it's going to do in the life of your family. See what it's going to do in the life of your home. Raise your children in the fear of God and see the effect. Or how about you try an experiment? Take your children and don't raise them in the fear of God. Just do it your own way. You want to try an experiment? Let's see it. For me, it's just a data point. For you, it's your life. It's your children's lives. For me, it's just another data point. I can see this. The Word of God is true. There is a human responsibility in the Word of God. If anyone is willing to do His will, if anyone is willing to do His will in John 17, in John 7 verse 17, if anyone is willing to do His will, he will know the teaching. He will know it. Whether it is of God or whether I speak of myself, Jesus said. And what he tells me, what I hear of him, I tell the world. What I hear from him, I tell the world. That's what Jesus said. What I hear from him, I tell the world. This is what he puts before us. But there is human responsibility. He, he, he calls us, so, so um, we're going to close with this verse in John chapter 7. Same chapter, John chapter 7. Verse 37, John chapter 7, verse 37. Now on the last great day of the feast, Jesus stood and he cried out saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And as the scripture has said, out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. This is the last day of the feast Jesus stands and he cries out. It says, on the last day, great day of the feast, Jesus stood and he cried out saying. So he didn't say this quietly. He didn't mumble this. He cried out this statement for everybody to hear. Must be pretty important. 
If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Hagar was perishing in the wilderness. Ishmael was perishing in the wilderness. And the angel of God came to them and expected something of them. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. If you do not know the Lord today, I urge you, today, today, don't wait till tomorrow. Today, receive Him. You pray this prayer, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me for my sins. Jesus died for you. He was put in a grave for three days. He came out of that grave. He appeared to over 500 people at one time. He appeared to His disciples over a period of 40 days. There is so much written by eyewitnesses about his rising from the dead. And then by other historians saying what the eyewitnesses had seen. So much written about his resurrection. But Jesus has already placed that truth in your heart. He's already placed the truth of his resurrection in your heart. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink, Jesus says. Jesus has life for you. You are perishing without Him. If you do not know Him, you are dying like Hagar and Ishmael in a desert. You don't know that you're dying, but you're dying. You are perishing without Christ. There is no hope for you without Jesus Christ. He says, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me to drink. And he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. There is a greatness that God has for us in life. And many believers forsake that greatness because they don't want to take hold of what He has for us. They want to continue in their life believing that, that, that life is against them. I am telling you, you walk with Christ. He has never left you. You wake up in the morning. You get in this pattern of waking up in the morning and spending time with Him. If you are lazy, you change your habits. You go to bed earlier so you can rise up earlier and you spend time with Him. If anyone is willing to do His will. There's human responsibility here. If anyone is willing to do His will, he will know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak of myself, Jesus said. Jesus has living water for you. There is life in Christ. There was life for Hagar and Ishmael. But they had to do His will. And then right in front of them was an oasis. Don't go through life forsaking the oasis, which is right there. Right there. Every morning an oasis awaits you if you open your life to Him. Let's pray. Abba, Father, I thank You so much for Your Word. And I pray, Father, for these young people for those here who are believers in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for them that they would get a new passion and desire for you and for your word. And they they would test your word and see that it is true. But Lord, that they would be willing to do your will. They would practice the things that they've seen in the scriptures, the things that they've seen and heard, that they would practice these things so that the God of peace would be with them. Father, please call forth these young people today to get a renewed passion for Jesus Christ, that this word is true. Every word in the Bible is true. Thank you, Lord. And Father, for those here who don't know you, 
I ask that they would pray this very day, Lord Jesus, forgive me because I am a sinner. Thank you for dying for me. And I believe you have risen from the dead. Father, save souls today, I pray. Save souls. Turn them to you, I pray. And Lord Jesus, for your glory, for your glory, because you are the one whose hand is constantly coming in goodness and in kindness toward us. Blessed be your name, Lord God. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.